Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is your girl Mitzi, and this is Mitzi. Let's think about it. Today, we are thinking about dementia. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the whole entire process that goes along with dealing with individuals that are dealing with dementia and the families and how they are impacted. Luckily here, I have a special guest who will give her personal insights in dealing with dementia with her own mother. Welcome, Caroline. Caroline, why don't you introduce yourself? Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Carolyn Burrell, and I am the author of Walking with Faye, and it's coming out this Mother's Day. So I'm not sure when production is, but on May 8th, Mother's Day, the book is going to be out on Amazon and everywhere you can buy a book. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. So what inspired you to write this book? I've been writing this book since the day I went and got her. In 2012, I flew down to Georgia from Idaho and basically kidnapped her. She didn't know, but she wouldn't come willingly. I tried everything for years to get her to come to Idaho and be closer to me. And her behaviors were getting more and more alarming. And then right before I went and got her, I received a phone call from the sheriff in her town. And I received a phone call from Department of Health and Family Services. And I was basically threatened with come do something about your mother or we're going to. And as bad as that sounds, I had no idea that those things were happening because on my morning phone calls with her, she sounded pretty darn normal. It was the early stages of her dementia. When you can have a conversation with a person and you're like, okay, she did say that three times in one minute, but mostly she's with it. Yeah. She was gro grocery shopping and paying her own bills and going to church on Sundays, as far as I knew. And so I had a wake up call from the sheriff and from Mrs. Bream and um, got my sister involved. And we flew down to Georgia to surprise her and tell her she was going to come spend a summer vacation with me and drove her home to New York where my sister lives while my boyfriend at the time and I cleaned out her house, cleaned it out, got it cleaned up, uh, sold it put it up for sale. She was a hoarder, had mm. no idea. It was a big mess uh, to get her to Idaho. No, it sounds like it was a lot. It was a whole new chapter for you to even realize because like I've said in other podcasts, I was a CNA for 10 years and I've dealt with the early stages, the middle stages and very last to the end stages where hospice is in the room, giving them morphine so that they can have an easy death, you know, and each stage is not easy, not for the family, especially because the family remembers their loved ones in a state of mind that is nothing like what the staff is used to you know the staff is used to the repetitiveness the staff is used to the random questions the confusion the upsetness you know that they feel versus the family they don't see that as much you know and Absolutely. What, what made you want to actually keep her in your home versus actually putting her in her home I had promised her from an early age, don't put me in a home. And I think people of my generation hear that from their folks. My mother was 86 when she died. I'm, I'm 56. So that era, I think, you know, your parents had this vision of, you know, being strapped to a chair, you know, and, and drooling, you know, and not being able to go anywhere and eating soup for, you know, mush for lunch. Yeah. And that was my mother's interpretation of a home. And so I did everything I could to keep her out of one. That's good. That's good that you did that because I've worked in different locations and different places and not all places are the same. 
not all places are the same some are 10 times worse than others like i'm sorry but if you can smell pee and puke and just the bad bo order just walking into the premises just walk right out like don't even bother (laughs) so i'm glad that you kept true to your promise to your mother because certain people aren't even able to keep that promise i remember even dealing with someone who got kicked out of the facility that i was working with because insurance will no longer pay her money ran out and her children didn't want to put their money down to keep paying and she just kept on bouncing around but in reality the next the last home that she went to she ended up dying because it was just too stressful it was way too stressful for her and it's sad because dementia is a silent killer you know if people don't realize that that individual is dealing with dementia then they don't understand what they're going through they just see age and they just think oh because you're this age you should be intelligent you should be capable and willingly to be doing things on your own but after a certain point it doesn't work like that and unfortunately I wasn't able to keep my promise I tried I moved her into her own little house uh, right up the street from me and filled it full of her best things you know the things that made it on the U-Haul truck across the states and I was able to keep her there for honestly six months things happened She was stealing her neighbor's mail. She was burning it on her coffee table. She was making a pot of beans every day and leaving that pot on the counter to spoil and would start a new pot the next day. She was walking on the highway and going to the gas station to buy a gallon of milk twice a day because she would leave the gallon of milk on her counter and it would start to swell to the point of explosion. And she would go back up the hill and buy another gallon of milk because if she put it in the refrigerator, she didn't know what was in there. She out. Every cabinet door was open because she didn't know what was behind it. So by the time that you got to your mother, do you know what stage she was in? Yeah, she was in stage two of the seven because it depends on who who you list. If if it's the Alzheimer's Association, there's a three stage. And then if it's a a different uh, group, it's a seven stage. Same thing, just smaller increments. Yeah, I liked the seven stage because I could watch her go through it and two I'll admit, and I admitted it in the book, two was not far enough along for me because everything I read once I started learning about the stages was, oh, we've got a long time to go. Yes. And we did. We had eight years. Yes, that is a long time. It's a very, very slow disease that kills you slow. I mean, everybody's bound to die. You know, nobody has their one-way ticket already submitted in or already processed. But when it comes to dementia, it's really a long one because you can see them progress. And then once they hit a certain stage, it's like, dang, that was that happened fast. Some of them real fast. And sometimes certain stages can just reel down hole where it's like, he was just walking just last week. He was talking regularly just last week. He knew his own name just last week. And now he barely knows who I am or he barely knows who himself is. And it's really scary to, to go through. For my mom, it was like a bell curve. So she did a couple of stages quickly and then she stayed at this one stage of, I want to say, paranoia, anger, confusion, accusations. Mm. She stayed at that stage for a long time. That was the hardest on me. And then at the end, people said, oh, it's going to hurt when she doesn't recognize you. Quite honestly, it was so much easier for me when my mother didn't stop recognizing me because she was nice to me again. You know, she unleashed all of her anger, all of her fear onto her daughter. And I was left with this 
mother that I didn't recognize anymore. And quite frankly, I didn't like her most of the time because she was not likable. So I struggled with this inner, you know, inner angel and devil on your shoulder. Like I'm her daughter and I need to take care of her, but boy, I don't like her. She is just not lovable today. And what's in store for me tomorrow? Because every day I knocked on her door, I had no idea what was going to greet me. What calamity was inside that house? Yeah, I understand. So you said it took her eight years until she eventually passed. And you, after a couple of months, you had her go into her own little living facility by you. How long was she in her own little home for? She did what you said about bouncing around, only not because of funds. We did run out of funds. Too. Her house wasn't worth much in Georgia and we private paid. And then she started getting down and I thought, oh, and I started adding to the money and there was no sign of her ever coming close to passing on at that point. So I investigated Medicaid and luckily for me in my town, we had the facility would accept Medicaid once the private pay ended as long as they had a spot and they did. So I did all of the forms, which were, you know, pretty intensive and confusing and daunting. And I filled out all the forms and got her approved. But what happened to my mom is she got kicked out of the place because she started acting up. She started wandering into residence rooms and saying, that's my quilt or that's my sweater. And she would walk out with it. So it was starting to become troublesome for the other residents. And I received my phone call that said, your mother needs more care than we can give. Oh, wow. So I had to move her to another facility. I'm sorry that happened. I mean, to be honest, I'm just used to finding individuals doing that. I've had a lot of cases where that has happened. To be honest, on full moons was the worst. Just because on full moons, everybody in the facility wild up. We would have one ringleader and they'll get anybody who's mobile and wild them all up and then chase all the CNAs all around the facility. It was hilarious. Looking back now, it's hilarious. We would try to hide in the rooms because of it. But that's funny that they kicked them out because of that. Because I've we've never kicked anybody out because of those situations. It just meant that our staff, we had to be more attentive and more aware of the residents. And we put alarms on the doors. We put alarms on the individuals. You know, we had those type of precautions so that we can keep up with the residents because I didn't believe in restraints. So anytime that had people requested two restraints, I was like, no, this person doesn't need a restraint. They just need a little bit more guidance and one-on-one time, you know? So I would be like, why don't you just offer home care or offer somebody else to just a private person just to sit with them instead you know and once they did it it was a totally change of mind they they actually were really helpful one time we actually had a resident run off the building he escaped and we found like I had to chase after him down the stairs and he was so fast these people can go really fast because their mindset changes like they're no longer 80 or 90 or 60 or 70 their mindset thinks that they're 12 or 15 or 20 and they go back in a different time frame and they think they have it you know they think they're all together and then they start asking oh where's my daughter where's my daughter and I bet she was in that situation too where she had to like she kept on trying to figure out where you were she found me everywhere she managed to put me on the cover of every magazine so I would come visit her and staff would say well today you're Queen Latifah (laughs) and my mother would show them the magazine and say see that 
that's my daughter. Oh my goodness. That is so cute. That's yeah. cute. But it's nice when it's those moments, you know, the funny moments yeah. that they've had, but it is stressful when you do have those moments when they're cruel and they're being mean and, you know, they're just being unrational sometimes, you know, I've had people ask me, what do you want your reader to get from your book? And I have run the gamut now because I started writing it as a self-help, you know, these things happen to me and you know, they're probably going to happen to you. And this will prepare you a little bit, but I kind of changed that. And I'm realizing that for me, if I had really one wish for the reader, it would be that during those times when their loved one is their most hateful, that they can just try to find the humor in it and try to, I mean, it's so hard when you're being bombarded with accusations that aren't deserved, but in the end, now that my mom's gone, there are so many instances, like you just said, that I wish I had had that sense to say, it's okay. It's just her doing this. Find the humor, laugh about it because it wasn't funny mm -hmm. at the time. You know, I wasn't stealing money from her, but she told everybody I was, you know, she told everybody I was keeping her locked in the house with no food. And when you're talking to a woman and she sounds reasonable, that's kind of a believable thing in my small town, you know? Yeah, so, it's scary. It's scary yeah. for those accusations, especially when you come from a small town. Other than, oh my goodness, Carolyn, she doesn't love her mother. Oh my goodness. Like, nobody <laughs> wants that. Nobody wants that type of rumors on yourself. Like, no, that's not fun. And people who are outside of that knowledge of what we've been through, you know, in whatever position that they're in, yours or mine, I still feel that it's still heart feeling, you know, you still feel that, but it's good that you put it down there, kind of, you started as a self-help book so that people can feel like it's normal and it's kind validated. of validated like webmd can tell you all the signs and symptoms that you can look out for but in reality you won't really understand it until you really go through it and you really take that walk like you say walking with faye i'm only assuming your mom is name is faye right yeah and she was a walker in fact the home that they kicked her out of that they they had to but for their defense they were strictly assisted living they said oh. and they didn't have that memory care unit oh. um off to the side i moved her to one oh, and then more like what you were describing that you did. But one thing that the, the facility got during my mother's stay there was a brand new courtyard fence with a pad with one, two, three, four yeah. on it that none of the residents could figure out because my mother was a fence hopper. Oh, wow. She hopped the old fence and would get out and go walking. That was what she loved to do. I actually had two friends on rotation that walked with her, uh, one in the morning and one in the afternoon, just to keep her busy because she was such a, a doer. Yes. And it is difficult for the individuals who are doers and who are so active because it gets overwhelming because sometimes the facilities, they're short staff or their staff doesn't want to do their work. And they just, you know, there's so many situations that can come up, but when you have a walker, it's dangerous. Oh, it's yeah. so scary because when I lived in Georgia a few years ago, I would always, I don't know why in Georgia, but maybe it's because a lot of people retire there, but there was so many signs of always 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 about oh my grandfather is missing he went for a walk and he has dementia if you see him walking or confused please call or here's my grandmother she's this is how she looks she's lost and we can't find her and it's so scary to think that that happened oh my goodness had, so scary i had my name and phone number on her keychain mm -hmm. i didn't have her address on it because she couldn't remember how to get there anyway and i didn't want anybody to know where mm -hmm. she lived so she would get into cars 
And that was her thing. She'd be walking down the road and she'd feel, you know, if there were a car park, she'd feel the, the handle and she'd get in. Or people would see her and they were good Samaritans and say, hey, do you need a ride somewhere? And she just hopped right in. And I probably got a phone call every third day from somebody saying, hi, my name's so-and-so and I've got Faye in the back seat. And I'd arrange to meet them at the grocery store parking lot or at the post office or wherever. And I'd pick my mother up and, and bring her home. And she would just be livid with me because I was interfering. Oh my goodness. She wasn't, she never looked at the help I gave her during the early days as help. She looked at it as control, you know, taking away her independence. Yeah. That's so she what spent, we all look like. Yeah, yeah that's what she spent those like early years. Yeah, she was mad at me for the <laughs> longest time. Yeah, no, I completely understand where you're coming from. Like that is a frustrating time where it's like, no, I'm trying to help you. Like, no, this isn't help. This is abuse. You're abusing me. And I understand because I've heard that many times before. I remember there's this one lady, she was screaming out rape because I was just trying to help clean her up. I was just trying to help clean her up. And she was just like, right, right. And it made me feel so uncomfortable. I was like, I called my nurse. I called everybody. Like, I promise you I'm not doing anything. I don't even know if I want to touch her. Like, I don't even know if I want to clean her by myself. Somebody come in with me because this is now uncomfortable for my end. And it is unsettling because it's like, what do you really do? You know what I mean? What do you really do? Like, how did you handle those situations besides like redirection? redirection was a big one just bring something else up but just what you said you know when I was in it and it was happening to me can you imagine how that woman must have been feeling to scream those words she felt it she believed it she was in danger and and those were the hardest times for me when my mother was her most ornery most accusatory and angry I was defensive I was like no mom I'm not doing that no you know this and that but you know after the fact, you think, what does it take for a person to feel that way? It must have been really bad, you know, for her. She must have been so upset, you know, so unsettled to lash out like that. And our human nature is to defend ourselves, you know, and say, no, that's not happening. And what does that give them? It tells them that you think they're lying mm -hmm. to them. You don't believe them. Mm -hmm. So they're out here crying for help. And you're telling them that's not happening to you. How would you feel? Yeah. I would say, yes, it is happening to me. But that moment, and, and this is kind of what people don't understand in the early stages, and some caregivers don't understand it still to this day. They don't put themselves in that person's world and try to empathize with them and try mm -hmm. to find the root of what it is that's causing them such distress. We're just busy trying to tell them it's not happening. Yeah. But it darn well is happening to them. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I love the way that you put it because it's very true with what you said. Sometimes not only do you have to put yourself in their shoes and redirect them, but you also have to consider a different way to ease them down, you know, a different way to just, okay, acknowledge what they're saying, acknowledge what they're feeling is valid because right now at this moment, this is as valid as life is going to be for them. Even if people don't understand or not, this is their reality. Reality. You know, what they can obtain is what 
they know in front of them, you know, and one of the biggest things I had to do is just calm myself down, you know, and realize like, okay, it's not personal. I always had to tell myself, Mitzi, it's never personal. Don't take it personal. Don't take it to heart. They don't mean to be mean to you. They don't mean to be cruel. They don't mean you're just too sensitive, you know, like just toughen up. We can do this. And I would just try to like be softer to them or just take a step back, let them calm down and then reapproach them in a different manner. And then they'll forget about it or they'll just be like, I still don't like you. (laughs) And then I'll just send somebody else in. (laughs) Tomorrow's a new day. Yeah. (laughs) We had this one lady that was in my mom's facility for a while. And it just broke my heart when she would stop me and say, I got to get out of here. I got to get home. My husband's waiting for me. And then a CNA would walk up to her and say, you know, so-and-so you live here, you live here now, this is your home. And I thought that is not what she needs to hear right now, because this woman is convinced that she's not home. There would have been so many other ways to handle it. Like, okay, we're going to get a car for you. Why don't we come over here and have a cup of coffee Mm -hmm. while we wait? Mm -hmm. You know, okay, we're going to call your husband. Well, her husband's been dead for 10 years, but we're going to call your husband. And when we get a hold of him, we're going to make arrangements for him to come and get you. It wouldn't have mattered, but it would have calmed her down. Yes, exactly. And I had to lie to so many of them. And it sounds bad that I'm using the word lying. And I think it's just because people put a bad taste into the word lying. But in reality, sometimes lying can be good. And I think that's the biggest thing. And the way that you said it was perfect. Because when you put it in that perspective, and you just tell them like, okay, don't worry, I called your husband. And he said he's running a bit late just to have dinner here. And then he'll pick you up for dessert. And they'll be like, okay, okay. I won't and they're better. And then they're so much better and they're calmer and their mind is distracted. And then they're, when they're like, oh, when is my husband coming? I thought he was coming. I'd be like, oh, well, he said that he's stuck again and he won't be able to come, but he wants you to spend the night because he doesn't like to drive at night. And then she's like, that's smart. My old man, he loves me and protects me. And it's the sweetest thing. You know, they changed their perspective and it's really nice. And I feel that those were the moments that made working in the health field very Mm, lovely because when you're able to impact someone emotionally not just some in the physical sense but actually in the emotional sense it's like a different type of satisfaction you did it for 10 years oh yeah and I did it I worked in hospitals and home care and I tried different outlets so I really seen the difference in each state and each environment and I feel that it's the most stressful at home for the family you know, because I feel that the family's so overwhelmed, you know, because not only do they have to take care of their lives and their home and their family, they also have to take care of their parents. And it's stressful because they think that they have to treat them like a child, but then they have to treat them like their parent, but then they don't want, they treat them like a stranger sometimes too. And it's so overwhelming because it's like, how do you really handle your parent? you know, when you have to take care of them, you know? So when you were at home, what made you realize that you couldn't do this anymore? The straw that broke the camel's back for my mother was she invited a man that she met at the gas station on a bicycle to camp in her backyard. He was somebody passing through and he had his big bags on the sides of his bicycle and he was pretty worn out looking. And I got a phone call from the neighbor and said, did you know that your mom has a guy in her backyard in a tent? <laughs> said, no, I didn't. So I showed up and he was in her house eating at her kitchen table. It was dusk and I could see in through their lighted window. And she 
said something to him and he threw his head back and laughed and they just looked like they were having a great time. Mm. And I stood there with this huge dilemma. What do I do right now? Do I ruin this great time my mother seems to be having or do I protect her from this man? I have no idea who he is. And she's going to wake up in the middle of the night anyway, look out her window and see this tent in her backyard and not remember that she invited this man. And that's going to upset her. So I waited for him to come out and it turned into a phone call to the police from a neighbor because they heard the shouting and an arrest because he refused to show ID and a night in jail and a warrant that they discovered. So in the end, I made the right decision, but I doubted myself that whole time. And it was then that I realized I can't, I can't risk this anymore. Mm -hmm. My mother needs 24 hour eyes on her and I'm giving her three meals a day eyes on her. Yeah. Not enough. Way too many hours in between for her to get in trouble. So we moved her into the, the assisted living home. And that was a very hard thing to do because she was so mad at me that she broke all the records of time between you're supposed to, because there's like a week resting period. They don't like you to come see them until they've acclimated. Yeah. And that was a seven day acclimation. Well, my mother's was a three week acclimation and she just didn't want to see me. She was so angry at me and I was so sorry, you know, so in doubt of what I had just done. You know, I regretted everything. And that's the whole point of the book. It's like, it gives readers information and decisions that I made, some that I say were good and some that I say were bad, but it kind of helps you see that your decisions are hard made. You know, like you're going to doubt that you're doing the right thing for your mother or father or whomever, because they're going to tell you that you're not. You're not making the right decision for them. Mm -hmm. So for you to try to keep them safe while they're telling you that they don't need that, it's like, what do you do? Yeah. How far do you let it go? I, so many times I said, well, let me wait and see if it gets worse. Let me wait and see if she gets in a car accident. I mean, how can you say that? But when she's driving and she has her license and you can't get her to stop driving, what do you say? Right. You say, well, I guess I'm going to wait and see if it gets a little bit worse. Maybe she'll get pulled over. You know, yeah. well, in the end, what I did was I put her car in the shop mm -hmm. and said, something's wrong with your car. Mm -hmm. And then it just never came out of the shop. That's smart. That's to be honest, that's what I've heard a lot from family members when they say, oh, yeah, she was driving and we had to try to allow her to keep her free, you know, because it was less arguments. And to be honest, I'm not trying to argue with her anymore, especially not for the, her last days of her lives or last years of her life or however long this disease decides to keep her alive for but a lot of people had to go in that route so the car is the first thing to go so now you no longer are mobile and this they were even tell us the staff like tell them that the car is in the shop and they have to order a part and this is all backed up and la 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 and then they would have to calm them down yeah they'll be upset they, they don't have that freedom but they have that understanding that you know i can't really do anything about it but that is so crazy that she had a man come and live in her backyard and at least it wasn't she suggested the backyard you know I mean I gotta give her that a bedroom yeah instead of the bedroom and thank god that he didn't abuse her like or kill her because there are so many crazy stories you know of that you know thankfully your neighbors and you live in a small town that you guys are close because god forbid she was in like a big major city they wouldn't pay no mind 
they wouldn't have never had an eye or call nobody or reached out. And that's the scary thing about living in a bigger city is that you don't have that community. You don't have that village watching over your family and your friends. You're kind of just by yourself. I can't imagine the people who are trying to do this without that kind of a support system. It was hard enough for me with a small town and and some friends that came in and helped. I was drowning. I mean, I could break out in tears anywhere. I was in the post office and you asked me how things were going and Mm -hmm. I was in tears. Every morning I woke up and I would think, okay, that's right. This is my day. I forgot. That's right. Mom's here. I've got to get up and I've got to go see her. And I have no idea what's going to be inside that house waiting for me because she could do any number of things right down to, you know, something just smoking on the stove, you know, or the lighting of the mail on her coffee table. That was another kind of a last straw, like, okay, we can't have her burning her house down. Yeah, exactly. Like what happened? She doesn't smell it or doesn't even acknowledge it. Oh, that's she was hunkered over it, fanning the flames. (gasps) And I said, why are you burning your mail? And she said, so that nobody can know that I'm here. That was was the connection she made by burning it. Nobody would know her address. Yes. Oh my goodness. That is so crazy. I think one of the craziest things that I've caught was a resident playing in her poop because she used to be a artist. She used to sculpt clay. And so she thought that when she pooped, it was just clay. So if you didn't catch her on time when she used the bathroom, there would be poop all over the walls, all over her hands, a little, little figurine. Like it was just intense. Oh my goodness. Had you ever had anything like kind of disgusting or intense like that happen besides the mail? And yeah, um, and my mother would have been appalled if this had ever happened. But when they, they told me I had to uh, move her. I moved her to a, an extended care facility and they said, no problem. We can take her. Well, she was more than they could handle. And I had 30 days. So at the end of 30 days, I got my call and I had to move her again. So while she was there, her thing was to visit all of the residents who were in their rooms bedridden. And they would say, come here, come here, unhook this. And she would go over to their bed and unhook there, they had alarms that were tied around them. So if mm-hmm. they got up, the alarm would go off and they didn't like them. So she was unhooking everybody and just happily bouncing from room to room. And they found her and called me and said, you know, there could be more that she unhooks than just their alarms, you know, yeah. IV, whatever. So they called me to tell me that this was happening and they were working on it. But that when the administrator went back to her office to write everything up, there was my mother sitting on her trash can, pooping into it. <gasps> And I said, well, did you ask her why? And she said, well, in fact, I did. And she said, well, because you left your door open. And that was her reason. My mother was just, she couldn't find her own bathroom. And she found what she thought was a suitable bathroom. So, and that's when I got my 30 day notice from them. Yeah, that is so funny. Like, I mean, now you could think it's funny, but probably then at that moment, it was probably stressful getting the call. You're probably doing the dishes and just like, she did what? They had yeah. me on speakerphone at a round table at a conference in a conference room. And there was like the head nurse, the activities director, the administrator. And they called me and I thought, oh, this, this is not good. Whatever they're 
want to talk to me about. Yeah, that does not sound like a good time at all. Oh my goodness. That is so crazy. Oh my gosh. Well, I guess what would be some great advice that you can give anybody that may be dealing with somebody that they know or love, or that may be working at a facility that you want to give some advice to obviously go buy her book. That's obviously go buy it. Go check it out. Walking with Faye. Believe me, I'm going to go check it out too, because just having this conversation brings up so many memories and it has been such a like talking with you, but what would be some great advice you can give someone? Well, for a caregiver in a facility, I would say watch every TIPA snow video out there. TIPA snow is the head of the positive approach to care. She's amazing. She's, she does all these free videos and she's got a book more than one, I think a website. And she just, she talks common sense, things like don't approach them straight on. Don't stand over them. Don't use a loud voice. Don't touch them quickly. Little things that people don't realize on caring for somebody with dementia, because you know it's like this for a dementia patient. I would say watch anything you can get your hands on by, by her. And online nowadays, I mean, in 2012, we didn't have these things as much, but now there are online caregiver groups like dailycaring.com and aplaceformom.com. These are great resources. Just type in, my mom is lying to me, or my mom is accusing me, or you know whatever it is, and you can get your answer. And lastly, from a human approach, if you can just take a breath before you say, dad, you told me that five times already, you know, never say that. And it's like the first thing that everybody comes out with is like, you already told me that. Well, they, it's the loop that they're on and you're just going to have to get over it because for the next so many years, you're going to have that loop. It's just how it works. So don't correct them. You know, if they tell you the sky is purple, go with it because mm-hmm. you need to enter into their world. Their world is a new place. It's new to them. They're confused. They don't understand it. All they know is something's wrong. They wake up in the morning and their house is different. Their magazines have been moved. Their pillows have been moved. They, they don't understand it. Somebody broke in last night. Well, instead of trying to tell them that nobody broke in last night, walk around the house with them, mm-hmm. walk around, tidy their pillows, tidy their magazines and serve them a cup of coffee, you know, get mm-hmm. their mind off of it. But that's, that's the early stages, you know, they're paranoid, something's not right, they can't figure it out, but they know something's wrong. And you're not going to tell them differently. You're not going to talk their way out of it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. What you said was perfect. You heard it first. Ladies and gentlemen from Carolyn, she has given such a different point of view from a different side of the spectrum. And I really hope that you guys are able to embrace it because there are going to be a time where you might have to deal with this or you might have to deal with somebody who's going through this and you want to be in a good state of mind to help somebody because at the end, we should all be in a good state of mind to help somebody. So always keep thinking, y'all. Till next time. Bye.